you for all the love. <laughs> Thank you for all the love in the heart. Welcome, welcome. Welcome. <laughs> I guess the app is being a little slow tonight because it's not allowing us to see everybody who has joined. Um, welcome to Paranormal Umbrella. Normally we have this every other Friday night, but tonight we're going a little, you know, against the grain, out of the box, against their normal scheduling. And uh, we're continuing our discussion on the Inner Earth Theory. And we are starting with a very interesting story that uh, Miss Kellick had found and shared with me last week. And, and let me tell you, it's mind-boggling. <laughs> it bakes my noodle. It bakes my noodle. And let me tell you, this dude that he found that came up to him in this story is uh, he's waterlogged <laughs> and yucky. But, like, that's his natural state of being, apparently. This creature that introduced himself to the author of this story that turns into an expedition into the inner earth. So, without further ado, Kellick, and I remember you say your name early this time. Yay. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) It only took me, like, nine podcasts to get there, but I... (laughs) You got it. I got it. So, all right. So, what what we're going to be talking about is the book called Edadorpa, which um, is actually the reverse spelling of Aphrodite. Now, this story was published in 1895, and it was actually a really, really. Um, popular, controversial, and influential book of that time. Um, it's, it's crazy. Like, so, okay. I don't even know where to start, really, because you've got John Uri Lloyd, who is the author of the book. Um, he is the one that transcribed it or transcribed the story and made it a book. Um, but the actual person that that told the story that was written down in the book, um, his name, he, well, he was just known as I am the man and it's a weird, weird name. But once you, like, once we go through it, you'll see why he picked that name. Um, holy, the, the name is the man, I am the man who did it. And, so first we have to figure out who this I am the man was because he never said it gave his name, but based on, um, on facts that kind of came up later, they fit, they pieced together the puzzle and figured out exactly, uh, who he was. And it turns out he is William Morgan. Um, born in 1774 and disappeared in 1826. He was a resident of New York. You say disappeared, but like I believe he was kidnapped. Like he, I mean, we're getting to okay. it, but I believe he was kidnapped. So I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> to interrupt. Go ahead, continue. New York. He's yeah, a New Yorker. Go ahead. Okay, so. To give you a little background on William Morgan, he was an anti-Mason. So basically, he rose through the ranks of Freemasonry, and basically, at some point, he got a letter that said, if you sign this, you are agreeing to share with the world all of the secrets of the Freemasonry order. And... By doing that, you will be breaking the solemn oath that you swore on a Bible to uphold. And hence the name, I am the man who did it. He published his book. He gave up the secrets. Well, when he did that, uh, well, I should say he wrote the book. Um, He tried to have it published, but then the publishing house that was making the book for him mysteriously burned down. That was the problem. Right. Um, Then 
He was mysteriously thrown in prison over a bill of $2 at a local pub. While he was in prison, he was kidnapped and taken to an unknown location somewhere in New York where um, he was in a carriage with these hooded men and there was a dead body in the carriage with him. And this dead body awfully resembled him. Different clothes, obviously, but it looked like him. And they explained to him that they were going to use this corpse as um, to fake his death because he was going on a trip. So they dumped the they dumped the corpse in the in the river or the lake or whatever, which um, he eventually was. That person was eventually found. Um, they claimed it was William Morgan and that he had drowned. Case closed. Well, the real William Morgan, or the real you know, him, he ended up going on the carriage ride down, um, to what we know as Kentucky. And I'll go into a little bit more details as to the location later, but for now he went to Kentucky and he, they gave him this elixir that prematurely aged him. So he was at this time, I think he was only in his 30s or 40s, but it aged him to the point where he looked unrecognizable to his old self. And then they presented him in front of this cave, the cave of Zoroaster. Now, this cave, there was a guide waiting for them. And this guide was the wonderful amphibious creature humanoid that uh, Sooth mentioned earlier. And basically his skin... Say again? I was just saying, he's gross, y'all. He's waterlogged. He, like, his skin, like, made its own water, like, slimy. Basically, he had the the skin of like a frog or like an amphibian that was always just looks wet and gross. Um, now, what's even more creepy about this humanoid creature is that it did not have a face. It had a mouth, um, but it did not have eyes or a nose or any discernible features like that. So, this was to be his new guide. Now... They took a journey into Zoroaster's cave where um, they traveled a long, long ways, um, several days. And then finally, when they got to a certain point, um, they came out to this expanse of a lake that they claim was 6,000 miles. That's a big lake. And took a anti-gravity boat, riding it out into the water, um, and then went to the edge of this cavern. And below, like, the water was pouring off of the edge down into this chasm, and that's where they had to go. So, William Morgan... Hold on, I'm going to have to interrupt you. So, hold on, wait... So they go, you got crazy amphibian boys who just, I mean, let's just set aside the fact that he's been kidnapped. His, his, his death has been faked. He's looked into the eyes of a corpse. Okay. He's kidnapped. He's taken to the mouth of the cave. Amphibian boy. Who's just, that just grosses me out on its own. That's just, <laughs> Stands there waiting for him. He's been turned into an elder of himself, and now he's taken into the mouth of the cave, put into an anti-gravity boat. And this is back into the wind, like 1800s? Yeah. We're talking about... This was okay. like... Talk about the first... Oh, yeah. This guy must have been just blown away. I forgot to also mention, on their way down to this lake that they came across... Um, they also journeyed through forests of mushrooms, of giant mushrooms, like actual forests of giant mushrooms. And apparently, 
they it, the book describes how these small hobbit-like creatures, humanoid creatures, with oh. a giant hand. Um, I don't know why the hands were so big, but they had one giant hand, and all of them were pointing towards this one direction in the cave system, and that's the way that they ended up going, which led to the lake. So, they take this anti-gravity... How do you just glance over the hobbits, dude? We were talking about the hobbits. <laughs> we were and talking about the hobbits. Like, oh, I, I just forgot about the little men with the big palms. <laughs> we're not going to talk about the giant phalanges that were pointing in the direction <laughs> of a 6,000 freaking huge-ass lake underground. Because it, it, we're going to not talk about that either. It's underground in an anti-gravity boat that's just taking you to this chasm where all the water is going down even deeper <laughs> into the earth. All of that aside, everything's great. <laughs> Hell no. Nah. Well, no. <laughs> well, see, I, I'm, I have a lot of information to cover and I can't cover it all in so much detail. So I'm having to go fast. Those are details. Look, the, the hobbits with the giant phalanges is something <laughs> to talk about, okay? You can, you can overlook the big fungi, okay? But the giant <laughs> hand hobbits have to be discussed. That's something that has to be pointed out, okay? That's, you, can't, you can't gloss over that. So, standing in their anti-gravity boat over this lake that extends out over this precipice, um, he is the uh, William Morgan is given this potion um, that is supposed to help him ascend. Now, he drinks this potion. Why I don't know. I guess at this point you've gone this far. You got You've committed. You got to go the whole way, right? So <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he drinks yeah, this, this potion. Also, keep in mind at this point they are um, several miles under the Earth's crust and a s several days' journey in. Um, so he drinks this potion, and basically it talks about how he is consumed with fire and ice to where he feels like he is burning up um, from heat and cold at the same time until literally his body disintegrates. That sucks for him. Wait, what? But, but he is not dead. What? He is not dead. So... Okay. He turns into this spectral being, which then is instructed to jump off the precipice and go down into the giant chasm, where he falls 600 miles into the Earth's crust and eventually comes to um, this place where he meets this woman. Now, keep in mind, he's a spectral being now. Um, as the book describes it, he is neither living nor dead, but somewhere in between. My and brain just, <laughs> my brain just thought of, look, I've been falling for 30 minutes. <laughs> so, believe it or not, that took longer than 30 minutes. In this long journey of research that I have been doing, as it turns out, it would only take, based on modern science, um, if you were to free fall to the center of the earth, it would take you about uh, 30 minutes. Um, now, yeah, I found that out today. Who knew? Here's the problem. You would be going at um, six miles per second. <laughs> so you'd be going oh, real fast. <laughs> you'd be dead. Right, basically, yeah. <laughs> your your organs would be liquefied. Okay, so now I understand the elixir though, because that's like you have to take the elevator right? at the speed of sound or the speed of light, one of the two, or maybe both put together so that you can make it down there without taking hundreds of years. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> Could you imagine? It'd be like if you were to take it at normal speed. I don't know if anybody's seen that uh, that anime um, Gundam Wing where they have the elevator scene and they're all standing in the elevator to take it down to the hidden laboratory in the elevator scene in that anime. I think it was Gundam. But and they're all standing there and they're literally saying nothing to each other. It's literally a 10-minute scene of them in this elevator saying nothing to each other. <laughs> just elevator music from, you know, the girl <laughs> that you've been eating at. And there's a fly fall <laughs> flying around that's literally all i'm imagining in my brain right now is them just falling right in this elevator <laughs> i'm sorry i digress my English is really <laughs> i i apologize we need to drink some caffeine or something to focus. i don't know <laughs> so he falls he's down there he's all liquefied he's this spectral being he's at the bottom and there's a woman <clears throat> down there so what is there- what does this lady say what's What's the lady got to say? So this woman talks to um, William Morgan, and basically he she talks about how she is the goddess of the universe, how atoms bend to her will, and how the stars sing her praises, and this and that, and she was. Uh, more beautiful to look at than you know anyone ever known, and all of this kind of has so a no similar. Huh? No humble bragging here. It's just straight up bragging. Got it. Right. Right. Um, essentially, she is uh, Aphrodite. But again, well, the sense. name of this book is called Edadorpa, the reverse spelling of Aphrodite. Now. In terms of like what happened beyond that point, um, I have not fully finished yet. But okay. there, just because there's so much. I mean, the, this is an actual book, and I just started reading it a couple of days ago, so I'm not very far in. Um, but from everything that I've gathered, this story. Oh yeah. So also. By the way, at the end of this, um, this I am the man who did it appears Mm -hmm. um, to a pharmacist guy, John Uri Lloyd, who then basically said, you're going to write my story and I need you to write it down exactly as I say it. And that's what he did. And so John Uri Lloyd is the actual author of... Uh, at Adorpa. <clears throat> so he transcribed the story, wrote the book. And what's interesting is that you could listen to, you can listen to this and be like, that's garbage. That's full of crap. There's no possible way that could even be. But I have to tell you that the short amount of time that I have spent reading this book and how people talk about this book it's not written as fiction. This is actually written almost as a scientific journal where he goes into painstaking detail descri- describing the flora and fauna that he sees and describing everything down to like minute details that would just, quite frankly, probably bore most people if it wasn't so fantastical. But... Yeah, so, so writing it as a first hand account. Right. What? And okay. so he told John Uri Lloyd, um, whenever you're done writing this, once it's concluded, take one page, take it out of the manuscript, and conceal it in secret. Don't destroy it, conceal it in secret until the day when it can be released. You can pick which page it is, I don't care. But pick a page, hide it, conceal it, and one day it will become known again. And that's what he did. We don't. Nobody knows what page that was. Um, hopefully, it wasn't an important one. But who knows? But why that? Right. 
But why? That is the question. Possibly to create confirmation that this book um, really did, in fact, happen and that this one page, whatever that page is, is kind of that confirmation to the story. I don't know. Who's the pharmacist guy, though, and what was he doing down there? Okay. So the pharmacist guy – let me see here. John Uri Lloyd. He's not, this isn't sounding like this is a big secret anymore. You know, like there just seem like they're having a big party down there in inner earth and we're just not invited. <laughs> okay. So John Uri Lloyd. So John Uri Lloyd, um, he was a pharmaceutical um, specialist um, in Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay. He, he was, actually very well known in the in the state of Ohio for his skills as a pharmacist. Um, this was somebody who knew what they were doing. Like, this was a very intelligent person. And so the story goes, I am the man, appears to John Erie Lloyd one day as this spectral person, this guy not quite alive, not quite dead, but just kind of a ghostly figure, um, shows up in John Uri Lloyd's room and says, I need you to write this. <laughs> and he's like, well, crap, man. Like this guy just appeared in my, in my bedroom. I, I don't feel like I have a choice in the matter. Like I, I kind of feel like I have to now just because who does that? <laughs> so, so he did it. He, he wrote the book. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, now, I guess there's not. What are you now? Believe do? it or not, when Adorpa was being published, uh, that that publishing company also mysteriously burned down, and it took a second time before the book actually made it to the mainstream public, and people were able to buy it from their bookstores. <clears throat> so. It's sketchy. It's sketchy. It, it, right? All of this seems like crazy talk, but the level of detail that he goes into is just like, you can't think this stuff up. It's too crazy. It's too bizarre. And like, who does that? <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I digress. Well, like, I, this is. I mean, if I was bored. And I didn't have much else to do, and I kind of didn't like my reality. I could see creating an entirely new place, and it's almost like a treasure map. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm going to create this fake treasure map so that everybody could have fun, and then at the end, it's going to be an empty Easter egg. That's just going to be like with a maybe a note attached that said, ha ha, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I, but that's just me. That's some crazy st- stuff that I would do just to, you know, just to make well, people yeah. get out of their house and use their noggin and do something fun for once. But, you know, but again. This is, so he gave specific details of where this cave was located. Uh, even though he was captured. Um, this was a smart man and he was taking notes of all of his surroundings and, you know, which rivers they were traveling on, uh, where they got off, um, the hillside, like the name of the hillside, all of that stuff he learned. So he had a pretty good idea of where they were. Now, should I, should I tell him? Should I, should I get into that? You should tell them and then you should hint at what we may be doing next. Okay. So there is a location in Kentucky, of all places, where the Cumberland River passes through and meets up with the Ohio River. There is a certain bend in that Cumberland River where they supposedly got off the boat, made for land, and um, headed into the wilderness. Apparently, based on the description, it was a leisurely walk, so it wasn't a difficult one. 
until they got to a mountainous region that was a little rougher terrain. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. we believe that we may or may not have found that mountainous terrain. Mm-hmm. And the potential is there to possibly go and discover or um, see if we could possibly find it. And we're thinking about making it our first YouTube video for our YouTube channel. Possible, possible. So, yes. Um, And I I don't necessarily want to give the exact location, although maybe I should. I don't know. What do you think? I th- I think we should wait until we've we've made the uh, the the decision until we've made it a decision if we're actually going to go or not because this is one of those things where it's going it's not going to be an easy trek. We have uh, right. we've been doing some research on it for the past uh, four days, um, and we've narrowed it down and decided that this is something. Seeing as this is one of um, my friend here's lifelong passion that it may be something worth looking into. So I think that I'm down. You know how I am. Pandora the Explorer is always down <laughs> to get to, get to some, some mischievousness and, and poke the bear and, you know, open the box. Now I'm just doing a little convincing here. So y'all let us know. Should we do it? Should we not do it? Should we go? Should we touch the thing? Because I am down for doing it. My friend here is on the fence. So she may need a little convincing. I am cautious. (laughs) This is an area where apparently an amphibian-like faceless humanoid uh, lives. Giant-handed little people... uh, cave dwellers live um who knows what else and quite frankly caves are up there with like outer space outer space and oceans for me like hey if something goes wrong you're probably dead so oh. <laughs> i don't like I, caves either get me wrong <laughs> like I don't, no i don't like them either but i mean if if it if it's gonna be an adventure, I might as well do it. I gotta jump it, conquer your fears, and go for it. I mean, okay. Well, let me ask. Food. Let me ask you this: What would you feel more comfortable doing? Journeying uh-huh. into a cave the size of a well, like a an old fashioned well, uh-huh. going into a cave like that in the middle of Kentucky to find the center of the Earth, or uh-huh. would you rather? go to one of the polar openings where it's nice and gradual and big and you just kind of follow the water down in and around wouldn't can't that be do better the water thing. nope can't do the water thing in the cave i don't know if i could do that see both of them are terror sheer well no terror. no see here's the difference the cave is tiny and small right the the water thing is like 150 miles wide so you wouldn't actually know you're going in. You just kind of go over the event horizon and just kind of swoop in there and you don't even know it. Mm, okay, that one I might be okay with. Right? I don't know, I don't know about the well thing because the well's dark. And, I right? The, I don't know if I could go in that. Like, mm. I'm all for things, you know me, but... Uh, when it comes to subterranean realms and creepy creatures and stuff, I kind of I'm a little scared. I still want to do the. I still want to go see if that creepy guy's there, though. That amphibian dude. I mean, he's creepy. I mean, imagine. Okay, look the way they have this guy painted, guys, listeners, friends, is that he looks waterlogged. You know, if somebody stayed in the water or body was in a water for too long, that's what he looks like. And then he's secreting his own, like, mucus to keep his skin that way. And he is, like, sexless, okay? But he's naked. And we're just calling him him for sake of pronouns. Lack so of it. Can- 
Right. And then he has no face. Like, so there's no eyes or nose or anything of that, but there's like a shape to his face. So, you know, there's like a skull and stuff over there. So he's presenting masculine in the, the skeletal form. Okay. But everything else is just like, he, he's got the skin and stuff of like an amphibian, but he's all wrinkly and nasty. And the secretions is what got me. That's what's getting me. It's just, <laughs> it's just that's just no. And then he's all like, "Hey, I'm gonna stand here and like loom over you, dripping all this nasty goo stuff, and wait for you to turn old so that I can take you into this cave." And I think the whole reason why they made him turn old is so that he couldn't run away. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what eight-year-old person's gonna run? They can't run. He can't run. He's like 80, 90 years old. He can't run. He can't even do a like speed walking. His hips are all You funky. don't know. Nothing. He might so be spry. Just, I mean, technically he was only like 30 or 40. Yeah, so. but not after he's got a elixir thing that makes himself all old and stuff. Now that well, they're they like, like, I can eat you. Now that you're <laughs> old. So don't try anything, old man. Because you can't even speed run. You can't speed walk. You can't even do a fast little hobbly hobby jog out of here. You can't do I nothing. Get, I get Major Alice in Wonderland vibes from this. You go down the yeah. rabbit hole. You take the potions to like get big or small. And you're dropping down chasms and holes. And I don't know. Just Alice in I, Wonderland I, vibes. I don't, I don't know. Oh, we got a comment. Oh, Tina. Hey, girl. Hey. Let's see what she has to say. <laughs> Would you rather go into a cave that's like a well? As soon as I think of a well, I think of Miss Girl crawling out of the well, going through your TV yep. and snatching uh-huh. your tail. Or potentially get sucked into something. I think I'd rather stay home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think home's good. Yeah. 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 I got it. Okay. Have fun. Well, yeah. to give it. Com- <laughs> To give a comparison between the two creepy and, you know, ocean, uh, let me explain the differences because the ocean one. So there is a story that I read today from this was written by Olaf Janssen. Okay. Um, Now, he was a Norwegian born in 1811. And. Him and his father went on a journey. They, they, his father was a fisherman by trade, and so their job was to go out to sea, get the fish, sell it at the market. Uh, now, they lived in Stockholm, Sweden, and they would travel up to – hang on, let me pull up Google Earth real quick so I can pull it. They traveled up to um, – I will find it. Hang on. Spitsbergen. That's the name. Um, Spitsbergen is a island um, off the coast of Greenland and north of Finland in Sweden. And this is basically right on the edge of the Arctic Sea. Now, they had gone to Spitsbergen because... Apparently, the the year before, the father had found um, ivory, and ivory sells for a lot more than fish at that time. So they they wanted to go collect the ivory and sell it at the market. Well, when they got up there, um, they had this discussion about what was farther north. And the father had talked about a story that his father told him about how the gods and kings had come from the north. And that was their dwelling place in Asgard and all of this. Well, the son basically asked his dad, should we go? Should we go into the Arctic Ocean and see? Let's find it. And the father was basically like, you know, if we go, we may not ever come back. So they threw their cares to the wind, headed out into the Arctic Ocean, and followed the ice sheets. Now, 
they're, they went north at first, as long as their compasses were working, and then their compass decided to take them further east. Now, their compass still displayed north, even though they were going east, into literally the heart of the Arctic Ocean. When they got there, there was a storm that rose up and they lost all of their water. They lost a lot of their food. Um, basically everything that they had was gone and they were kind of in dire straits here. So they were, they had gathered some of the food cause they hadn't eaten in a long time. And um, the, the sun had scooped up some water in a chalice that they had that, um, so they could wash their faces and kind of freshen up. Well, when they splashed water on their faces, they realized that this water was fresh, fresh water. Well, they're in an ocean, so that shouldn't happen. Now, supposedly, there are times when fresh water can lay on the surface of salt water, and that's what they experienced. This is actually a, a sea phenomenon that's actually known around the world um, happens to do with like oil and water, not mixing fresh water and salt water. Don't always mix either. Anyway, they resupplied on their water and they kept going. Well, before too long, their compass started really going nuts, pointing up towards the glass rather than pointing North. And they started seeing this almost apparition of a sun and as it turns out, this imitation sun was like this reddish gold bronze color. And they were surprised at the fact that this apparition wasn't going away. Well, as it turns out, that sun was not the sun they were used to. The sun they were used to here on the surface was still up directly over their heads. So... There were two suns in the sky, which doesn't make any sense until you realize that they were actually going into the hole in the top of the earth and going around to the interior of the earth. And they were starting to see the sun that was in the interior of the earth. I know it sounds crazy, but this, this happened. Apparently, and this guy spent 28 years in a psych ward because he wouldn't change his mind that this happened. Sure he did, and he like, was like missing. He was missing like for what four and a half two, years. It was two and a half years. They were gone. Two now, and a half years gone, and they and his father died though, didn't he? He did. The father died towards the end of the trip. Basically, what happened was they made it into the interior of the earth, and they came across this heavily wooded land. And all the trees, the way they describe them is that the trees made the redwoods of California look like underbrush. The trees topped out at like a thousand feet. So these are huge, huge trees with 120 foot, you know, diameter trunks and like something out of the, you know, Jurassic era or something. It, so um, any tell them about the elephants. Okay. So while they were there, they encountered these people um, that gave them a tour around the inner earth. And these people were actually very advanced. But one of the places that they went was this forest that had these, for lack of a better term, olefants, um, that were Ol these... Don't huge... shit on my olefants. <laughs> <laughs> they were the huge, gigantic elephants. Like, they we're talking 75 to 85 feet tall, over 100 feet long, and they would, like, just in herds of like 500 just cruising through the land totally peaceful eating you know eating the trees and the brush and everything like no big deal and these and things were giant yeah now the reason why i call them olefans is 
a term for my geek listeners, for my my fellow dweebs, my fellow nerds. What is an Oliphant? I'm sure there are some listeners here who know what they are, what I'm referring to. But <laughs> if if nobody answers, I'm going to answer for it. J.R.R. Tolkien, those giant freaking Oliphants that were used to fight in the wars. Uh-huh. Man, I, I want an Oliphant. Just, just because, just so I could walk outside and see this giant elephant. The elephants are so cool on their own, you know? How they, they like... Really they look at humans as like puppies. Look at my cute little puppy. Look at my cute little human. Could you imagine having an elephant that was like that? Look at my cute little human. Look how adorable just, that little ant is. Just don't so fall cute. off. Right? right. <laughs> That's like insta death, you know. But still, right, right. I would love to have an elephant. Supposedly, the reason that the plants and animals and humans, for that matter, um, are so big is because of this sun that is located within the earth. It is like this electrical sun that puts out these like warm reddish hued rays that basically promote growth. So the people live longer. The people are said to live between the, the years of 600 to 800 years of age. They don't even like, start school until they're 20 years old. And then they spend 30 years in school. And keep in mind, all of these facts and all this information is based on the account from this father and son who spent two years down there, learning the language, talking to the people, talking to their king. So... They learn all of this information about this sun, which, by the way, uh, they call the smoky god Jehovah, which I find very interesting. Now, you know, I find that interesting, too, because you know what I'm saying here? Hmm. Because we thought when we first talked about the inner earth and the one that was in Kentucky, right? Mm -hmm. It was like a totally different. I'm seeing regions in the inner earth. Right. Because. We spoke about the one in Kentucky. It's more of a a jungle atmosphere, right? Right. And the people who live there kind of remind me of the Congolese people because in the Congo, there are little people who live in, in the Congo. And there are also little people who live in, um, Oh, thank you so much for the for the follow. I appreciate that. There are also uh, little people who live in. Um, oh crap! Not. I mean, there's some another, in Brazil. Uh, yes, in Brazil. Thank you so much for saying that because I had a brain fart. But um, so there's little people who also live. I'll say the surface for the sake of our topic, who who live up here. But then you've got now you've got the little people who live in the jungle region, which happens to be underneath our region of Kentucky. Okay. And now if you look in the Arctic part, you know, it's more of like a clean living, um almost like redwood. a high society kind of Yeah, like a an Elven high society, you know, living up in the Arctic region. So you're seeing like regions of the inner earth and that's like that's fascinating to me like what kind of what's the difference like i want to compare these two stories and see the difference in the species that you're seeing in the different regions because you're seeing more of like lizard people right more ants and insects and lizards and um we folk and um giants in Kentucky, and then you go into the Arctic with what these two Norsemen experienced, and it's high society up there. You know, you've got the Oliphants, the the giant redwood trees, a hierarchy, um, right? Education system, an economy, and these tall, willowy people who have this advanced society as compared to the ones underneath Kentucky. Right. And the ones from... Go ahead. I was just going to ask, did the the peoples in the Arctic have a religion as well? 
Um, I believe so. I, I've absorbed so much information today. I can only hold so much. I'm really trying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. My noodles been baked since like four o'clock. Um, okay. So as far as their society goes, um, it's all based off of agriculture, um, raising cattle. They, the, I guess cattle is like the, their main meat source, but as far as like other foods, it's all about like the fruits, the vegetables, the grains, it's all the stuff that naturally grows. So for the most part, they're eating that, um, and what's crazy about it is that the fruits and vegetables are supposed to be huge as well. Like apples the size of a human head and grapes where the grape itself is the size of an orange and the grape cluster is like four to five feet tall. So we're talking hugely oversized flora here. So – and. And the people themselves, the women supposedly range from uh, 10 to 11 feet tall, and the men range from 12 to 15 feet tall. So I guess all of them, the, the wildlife, the plants, the you know, vegetation, all of that, they, it's all kind of enhanced by this inner sun. Now, based on all the different stuff I've been researching today, that red inner sun with a dull red glow is a, it, it's a connector. Like it connects all these different stories because all the different accounts all talk about this red glowing sun. They all have the same description of it. You know, it gets light and it gets dim. It never gets dark. So there's never like total nighttime. Um, and they think that that has to do with the Earth's magnetic waves and how it basically flows down and out of the the Earth and um, you know up around the surface and then back in through the North Pole and a lot of very sciencey stuff that like I could go on all day and like totally bore the heck out of everyone. So <laughs> I won't do that, but. <laughs> the the red sun with it, or the yeah the red sun within our earth is apparent between the cities of agartha shambhala um these norsemen um even the um the people in brazil they all report the same thing now I did mention earlier that they learned the language. And as it turns out, the language was a form of ancient Sanskrit, which I also find interesting. <clears throat> now, on top of that, um, the main city, like their capital city, is the city of Eden. Okay? So, and it is located next to a vast garden of the same name. That has four rivers running out of it. And this is, they consider this the navel of the earth. And these four rivers, one of them is named the Euphrates, which, if you have any kind of biblical background, that is one of the, the Bible talks about how the Garden of Eden is in between the Euphrates and the Tigris River. So now you've got a correlation of this river's name with Eden, and they basically built a capital city, which, by the way, was mostly built out of gold. Because apparently down there, they don't necessarily have iron and all of that. They might, but it's not as um, readily available as gold. Because apparently down there, gold is like the most common metal. Gold down there is like copper up here for us. So they use it for everything. They use it for the bu the buckles in their sandals. They use it for, you know, their belt buckles. They use it for brick building. They they use it for everything because it's so common. Huh. Yeah. Well, see, now I know why they don't want anybody to know about, <laughs> about the right? earth. 
Well, and when something is so common like that, you almost forget its wealth or its value because if it, if something is so common, it would be like us with tin. We have tin foil and tin cans. I mean, the only right. difference between us making gold foil and gold cans and stuff like that is the fact that it's more rare. So we don't do it. But now if you look at the fact that the sun inside the earth is supposed to be electrically charged, all of their, you know, adornments, all of their clothing has gold in them. Gold is an electrical conductor. So perhaps that is also one reason why they they live so long because they've got this higher frequency of electricity running through them all the time. I don't know. That's just a, a theory, of course, but, no, but yeah. So in this story, um, they stay for two years, they meet the king, they explore the land, they check it out. Now, Keep in mind, they only estimated that the Earth's crust was 400 miles thick and that gravity is actually somewhere in the middle of that crust and not in the middle of the Earth. So when you go through, that gravity pulls the same on the inside as it does on the outside because it's located within the crust. So that's how they were able to walk around. It wasn't like weightless or anything like that. They walked around like anybody else. Now, there are descriptions in um, Brazilian legends and mythology that talk about the same deal where there's they, they reach a point going in deep into their caves where everything becomes weightless. And they actually fashioned like iron handholds into the side of the rock so that when everything went weightless, they could just climb from handhold to handhold to keep going until the weight reversed and shifted so it's almost like they were in this limbo spot in between the crust where like gravity just kind of is a null field and then when they would get to the other side um it was said that they wouldn't return that their full gravity wouldn't return until they were finally on the surface indicating that the sun was actually also um assisting with the gravity pushing outward to hold everything that's inside against the interior of the earth or that crust. So that made up for that lack of extra gravity that we experience here on the surface. Now, this may all sound crazy too, but then I started making a connection here between um, some biblical writings that I've been researching um, with the book of Adam. Now, this is not one of the books of the Bible. This is one of the books that didn't get put in, you know, kind of like the book of Enoch, which, by the way, he also went to the center of the earth um, and talked about the Garden of Eden and all this stuff. Like, it was a thing. Anyway. Yeah, the book, these books um, that were not included in the, the Bible um, – is a whole nother topic oh, that yeah. has interested me for a very, very long time. Um, me being a non-Christian, I of course have looked into all religions um, myself for research purposes. And I just think it's really interesting how, how things were um, left out. Oh, how the, Oh, yes. Thank you. Omitted, cherry picked, so to speak. Yeah. So, um, because certain certain books of the Bible were so like radical, they were out there. Like, I guess they just decided, oh, well, people will be freaked out. So let's not tell them the truth, you know. So they left out all the good parts. Right. I don't know. It's crazy. To me, I just felt like it should have all been in there if it was going to be. It's there. It was written. It should have all been there. But, you know, that's that's a whole other topic. It's a whole other topic. Hopefully, we'll get to that topic at some point. We can discuss on the paranormal umbrella another time. So, yeah. So, so what else happened? What else was there? Okay. So, in the book of Adam, it talks about how um, Adam and Eve, they were cast out of the garden. And essentially, 
the way the book of Adam describes it is that they were cast out and had to go into the cave. What was it? The cave of riches or the cave of wealth or something like that. And they got lost. And after journeying for many days, they came out to the surface where um, the sun shined down on them for the first time. And they even remarked how much hotter the sun on the surface was than the sun that they had known in Eden. So, yeah. So, you've got the Hopi nation of Native Americans that believe that they came from the earth, inside the earth. You've got the Aztecs that believe they came from inside the earth. You've got um, the Hindus that they believe came inside the from inside the earth. You've got the Tibetans also inside the earth. And now you've got even the biblical, like, Hebrew texts, again, from inside the earth. So all of these ancient texts are pointing somewhere, like a big red neon sign saying, go here. And essentially the whole world is like, no, it doesn't exist. It doesn't. Got- Don't look at the... They got their they got their blinders on and going. I can't see you, <laughs> right? And this is like the greatest thing. Like, can okay? Can you imagine? Let's say they start tours, right? Now, you take a ship, you go sail into the inner Earth, you relax on the beach under the nice warm red rays of the sun. You feel rejuvenated because all this like extra electricity is going inside you the great you know growth environment that all the trees and all the vegetations taking advantage of you get to as well so you're revitalized you're feeling good you come home from a week's vacation all good all you know wonderful but no because center of the earth is bad it's molten lava it's got a big (laughs) it's got a big metal core an iron core in the center and it's liquid and it spins at millions of miles an hour and for the record i don't want to go into too much science but any liquid that is spinning cannot hold an electromagnetic charge now what does our planet have surrounding it an electromagnetic field (sighs) anyway (laughs) you are so you are so butthurt right now like you were so You don't understand. Angry. This is my like I was twelve reading Journey Jules Verne's Journey to the Center of the Earth because my grandfather gave it to me and this was just this mind blowing concept with you know crazy dinosaurs and oceans and crossing the ocean in a small like made raft and all of this craziness and like it just sparked this love in me for something fantastical inside the earth and then i get older and realize holy crap all of these ancient religions are saying there's something in there you need to go find it you need to see it and all of like society is just like no we're good hey i'm good come on this is (laughs) this is like the biggest adventure that someone could possibly get to like could do with their life like being in there extends the longevity of your life it revitalizes you you get to eat gigantic fruit the size of your head and like ride on animals where you can like literally run around on their back like like those elephants they're a hundred feet long how wide must those things be like you could put it's probably the size of a soccer field like you're you're big mad i can feel it i can feel it (laughs) 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 because i want to see this place i want to see it i want to go there i want to nobody would let me I need an elephant and a giant apple right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> Me sitting here pouting okay. with my arms Right? Just, just proud about it. But I, I seriously, like, 
Kentucky. We should go to Kentucky. Let's just go. I mean, let's just go. Let's. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? Um. Don't find any. That's it. No, no. No. Amphibian boy, like. I'm even in the game. I'm not even gonna like. I'm not gonna acknowledge amphibian boy. Okay, I'm not the this. I'm not gonna do it. And his like <laughs> secretion skin. Okay, I'm not gonna acknowledge that old dude. All right, but I mean the worst that could happen is we don't find anything. Okay, that's, that's like the worst that could happen. But I mean the best thing that could happen is we're doing this like freaking adventure to find the the entranceway to the inner earth. I mean, come on, it's gonna be. It'll be fun. It'll be great. That's true. It's a great adventure. Now, I am going to remind you of that so that if we ever go there and we meet white-skinned amphibian boy, I'm going to say, what's the worst that could happen? What could go wrong? Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm going to remind you again. He is corporal (laughs) and I can punch it. Okay? So as long as I can punch it, we're going to be all right. So, All all right. The worst thing that could happen is you go missing for two years and spend the rest of your life in an insane asylum. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Look, we don't have to tell nobody, okay? I could just disappear for two years and just blame it on, you know, like a really bad shroom trip and I got lost in the wilderness or something. See, I mean. No. That happens nowadays, all right? People actually get locked in in like cave systems and stuff, and we could just be like, "Hey, oh, we took a long turn in Albuquerque, and we just happened to make it through." And if people start asking like logical questions, like, "Well, then how did you survive in a cave system for two years with no food?" We could just be like, "I don't know what you're talking about. I can't remember." <laughs> like what? Huh? Here's the thing about that. If I go to this mythical (laughs) Shambhala, this Agartha, uh, this land of Eden, you think my ass is coming back? (laughs) Really? Because this ass ain't coming back. (laughs) (laughs) Said as long as you can punch it, you'll be all right. But what if you can't punch? What if? What if? What are y'all? What if y'all go on a little vacation? Not vacation, a little trip, right? And you you encounter something that you can't punch. What happens then, Sue? What happens? Are we gonna be like Roadrunner and BB out tail out of there like Looney Tunes? What's gonna happen? Are you still gonna try to touchy? What's gonna happen? <laughs> Look, why you gotta ask the whole questions? I'll bring a flare gun. If I can't punch it, then I'm gonna blow it up. I got a flare gun. I'll use that. Or, you know, I'll be resourceful. <laughs> I'll figure something out. I mean, I can think on my feet. Uh, and if I can't punch it or blow it up or shoot it, then I'm just gonna run. <laughs> <laughs> I'll run at some point. But I'm not going to be running all crazy willy-nilly like either because I don't want to get lost, like, for real, because I don't want to fall down no freaking 600-mile chasm down into the no-man's land. I mean, would I love to meet Aphrodite? Absolutely. Does that mean that I want to fall at six miles per second and liquefy my organs? Absolutely not. I do not (laughs) want to So... Unfortunately, it is 9.03 and we have reached our one hour limit, ladies and gentlemen and babies. And I just want to say thank you so much for joining us tonight and listening to our craziness and our continuation (laughs) of the Inner Earth theory. And I am sure on the next Paranormal Umbrella, which will be the following Friday, um, we're going to be discussing it again because we have so much information on this one. (laughs) topic and so many wonderful creatures to discuss so if you aren't already a part of it please join the paranatural cryptid preservation society discord we've got a link right there above our wonderful avatar head and we also have an ig which is linked on each of our stereo profiles here and you can also find us on soundcloud now 
So if you miss us here tonight, you'll be able to listen to us on SoundCloud. And we've got more wonderful things coming to us in the future. We have started a YouTube channel, which we will start posting videos of our wonderful, crazy adventures on there. And in the future, we've got other wonderful things coming, like, um, I don't know, maybe even Spotify. But you're going to have to stick around and find out. Join us on Wednesday for the Paranatural Cryptid Preservation Society. We're going to have another wonderful cryptid that we're going to be talking about and discussing and uh, finding out what wonderful, crazy things we've got on this planet or inside the planet. You never know. Thank you so much for being Also, real quick, uh, we have one last comment. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, no. I have never gone hiking. I have never done parkour. None of that stuff. Unless it's like Minecraft or parkour. something. That's the only parkour I've done. But let me get chased by something. All of a sudden, I'm going to have the adrenaline, the speed, and the strength like an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> you betcha. All over. She's on parkour everywhere. Parkour. Parkour. Thank you for joining us, everyone. (laughs) We'll see you Wednesday.